Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Fairmount Plus. You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life, hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off. And to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative insurgency up, in their lives. You fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. I'll tell you what, dude. I, I'm going to tell you, man. We've had a lot of Rangers on this show, haven't we? I mean, some hard-charging, just badass dudes we've had. We what? Well, we had Tim Kennedy, right? Mm. He was Ranger. Mm. We had He's a Triple Tavern, I think. Well, yeah, yeah. Right. We who else? We had Matt Best, Matt Best. Nick, Nick, mm-hmm. Chad Fleming. Yeah. yeah he's tabbed up. He was hardcore, right? Mm-hmm. That's what, he, what the deployment he was. Well, now we got to make sure we don't forget one of them. <laughs> oh, dude. All Good four. Point. I think I, I thought that it was, was it. Was that, that was it? Well, no, because Pat was, was Pat he? Pat McNamara. He was yep. Triple tab, too. Yeah. Pretty sure. Yes, he was. Yep. Nick Irving. Nick, oh, Nick. I'm so sorry, bro. God bless you. Dude. Nick Irving. Nick, you're bad, dude. Don't be upset with me. So that that's a pretty epic list of of ranger qualified human beings. Absolutely. And when you look at their collective efforts at what they've done, I mean it'll blow you away. There's this funny story I got, you know, from a senior officer nowadays, still in the teams who out of my hell week class got sent to ranger school. And like I, on one particular thing where they were out in the suck and he was starving, he decided he, he had to eat. So he like ran all night and found a Walmart and like went into the Walmart to get some food. Right. Yeah. And he's all in his camis and he stinks and he's all wet and everything. <laughs> and apparently there was like some dude from Ranger school in there that night and totally got busted and kicked out of <laughs> Ranger school. <laughs> Typical team guy move. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've heard of uh, a couple of the selection courses the Army guys go through. You know, they're in town, kind of involved as well. Yeah. So they're, yeah. they're looking out, like, oh, hey, what's going on? We doing? Oh, uh, no, yeah, I'm in Ranger School. Really? Really? Yeah. Hold, wait right there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Bob, <laughs> I got a PFC down here. He's trying to eat my cornbread. They saw her. Oh, but my point is, <laughs> Rangers are hard. All right. 
They're, the Rangers lead the way. My, my other buddies out there, all the Rangers, man, you guys are exceptional. Anybody's got the tab. You live in a different different capacity, man, the stormtroopers of the Army. And, you know, we're bringing a guy on today, which I am super fired up. I've met him a bunch in a bunch of different places, and he, he he's awesome. I mean, he's got that kind of inspirational story that when you hear it, it makes you look at the mirror and say, God, I'm lucky. Man. Yeah, he, he, you can, uh, he doesn't even say anything. Nope. But you can look at the guy and just automatically he's, He's gonna make, he's gonna change your perspective. He's gonna elicit. He could potentially change your perspective, inspire you. Yeah, I love it. Well, why don't I think what we ought to do is just jump right into a story. Can you read that thing you got over there, Wizard? Yeah. So we're talking about Michael Slitz. Um, let's see, fourteen years in the army. Obviously, Ranger Tad. We talked about all that. Let's just jump down to this event where. Um, well, I'll just start at the beginning. This is in his own words. The day of the attack, my unit was conducting road-clearing missions. This was in Iraq. After turning around at a dead-end road, all I remember is hearing a loud boom, and then I hit the ground. At first, I was in shock. Then I looked up and could see my vehicle, but I couldn't see my men. I started to look for the vehicle, but realized I was on fire. I dropped down to roll, but my body locked up from the intense heat. My muscles just wouldn't allow me to move. At that point, I knew I was going to die lying face down there in the Iraqi dirt. I can remember screaming like I'd never screamed before. About the time I started thinking I was, this was going to be the end, I could hear my men yelling for me and could feel the fire extinguisher hit my body. A large wave of emotions came over me that I still had a fighting chance to live and I wasn't going to die right there. Some of the men were going to drag me away from the burning vehicle because on fire and the spare ammo had started to explode. But if they had, they would have killed me. Think about when you bake chicken and the skin on the meat just falls right off. Soon the medevac landed and I was rushed on board. I gave the flight medic my name and tried to give him my social security number before the medication kicked in. It would be my last memory for four months. Because of the nature of my wounds, they had to place me in a medically induced coma. I had sustained 85% total body surface burns, loss of some vision, amputation of both hands due to the burns, and a limited range of motion. While I was in the hospital, I would ask about my guys. It was a subject that they always changed. Fast forward 10 months later, I finally found out that I was the only survivor. I lost my driver, Corporal Lauren Henry Jr., my gunner, Sergeant Richard Sakenka, and my medic, Sergeant Jonathan Cadavero. It was a devastating hit. That's heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, following that, he went, uh, to this date, he's gone through 80 surgeries. Oh. 80. 80, 80 brother. Surgeries. 80. 10 months in the hospital, 6 months intensive care. Four months in the burn ward. Antonio? I don't know. What I do know is his yeah, no, eyes no, man, are the biggest thing. Yeah. And he's always having eye operations, dude. Yeah. I mean, they reconstructed his whole face. I mean, it's wild. You look at the progression of when he first was in to where he is now. And, man, I got to give a big kudos, bravo, Zulu, to his docs, man. Because I tell you what, his... his you know they've done a miraculous job on on him, and and man, I can't mm-hmm. wait to, you know. Oh yeah, oh pain. man, burns. God, damn, burns are the worst. worst. Remember doing going in a burn unit and oh, God. oh eighteen because once they start swelling, it's just oh man, it's it's gnarly. Uh, and I forget what. Oh, Richard Pryor stand up when he's talking about when he got 
burning him in the hospital and <laughs> and this is the king of comedy in my my mind dude trying to mm-hmm. talk about being burned right and he goes let me tell you something I, i'm gonna put you in the tub rich i'm gonna wash you it's gonna be great you know i'm gonna wash <laughs> yeah. you like, yeah motherfucker. i hear you why wash me i got it <laughs> And he goes, he hit me with that because I got to debreathe every every yeah, time. They, every time. Yeah, got to get yeah, new they skin They got to get that dead skin off there. They yep. debreathe it with those sponges. Oh. And, you know, your dermal layer, that's all your nerves. It's everything. Right. Yeah, dog. You know yeah. what? If, if, if you're listening to this right now and you haven't seen a picture of Michael Schlitz before, you probably, if you have an internet connection, look that up real quick. Just get a picture in your mind who we're going to be talking to here. Because he is awesome. I'll tell you what, and if you, listen, if this is your first time here, this is the quality and the level of guests that we bring on all the time, man. These people, like Mike, like all these other guys that we've on, Nick and and Tim and, and Pat, man, and, and I'll tell you what, I mean, these guys are phenomenal, man, and everybody else. So come, you know, I hope you, when you, you listen to this, you're going to hear something that inspires you to, to develop your never quit mentality, to get you in the fight like Michael is going to talk to about today. And if you're coming back again, man, welcome back. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us. I mean, without you, there's no way that we would have the success that we have. We just can't thank you enough. We, we just... The fact that you're out there all the time sharing our podcast with people that you know need it, right? Reaching out to people and saying, hey, go to iTunes, right? Subscribe to the Team Never Quit podcast, and you're going to find some pearls of wisdom that enable you to hurdle the challenging obstacles of life, to face adversity, to develop resilience and grit, and basically be able to stay in the combat of life day in and day out. You want to know more about us, what we're doing, all our shows. Also, you can visit us at tnqpodcast.com. You can follow us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, either Marcus is mine or Team Never Quits. And man, I'll tell you what, we are here for you. And this show is going to be epic because I'm telling you what, Michael Schlitz is one of those people that is having a profound impact on the world around him. What do, you, sure. what do you think, gents? Should we get him on? Yes, sir. Let's talk to him. All right. You know what the greatest thing that I've ever learned from the Rangers are, right? Because I've worked with a bunch of them, man. I, I, I've been, remember 18 Delta working with those cats? Oh, yeah. Hardest dudes at at. 18 Delta. I mean, they were the, just the toughest guys. I remember John Waddell, uh, who was uh, in uh, Black Hawk Down. I got to, you know, hang out with him. There's been some other dudes contracting that are Rangers. Just awesome, awesome mugs out there. But the number one thing that they have taught me is that when life gets hard, when things start kicking your butt in the combat of life, dude, when you're getting the, the piss knocked out of you, just take a knee, turn outboard, and drink water. That is the greatest thing I've ever learned from the Rangers. And then they stand up and go kill everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I, learned a lot. I learned a lot from the Rangers. I thought it was going to be something related to MREs. Huh? I thought it was oh, going to be something related to MREs. For sure, but 
Oh man, the, what they taught me about MREs is is just unbelievable. It's, it's the best knowledge I ever got it. in the military, I, and I had no idea till I mean we were sitting out in the field with them, and you could smell the ambiance around the campfire, <laughs> so to speak. And I never smelled anything like that from an MRE. So I just, you know, good chows over there. You work your way over, buddy up. <laughs> well, plus I had my last uh, trip out overseas, man. We had a striker, some striker boys parked up next to us. Of course, they're the ones that had to come bail us out all the time. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Well, mm. I tell you what, man, our guest today, Ranger Tabbed, is one of the coolest dudes, hardest dudes, but the most positive dudes I've ever met in my life. All right. So stand by, you two. For something that is going to blow you away, a guy who understands truly how to find every inch of positivity out of life there is, brother. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we'd like to welcome Mr. Mike Schlitz to the show. Mike, welcome aboard, brother. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's quite the honor. Well... I mean, and, it's a no-brainer. I think you guys forgot one thing. I mean, you can turn out, you know, drink water, but don't forget to rub some dirt on it, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we'd have kept going down, oh, we could sit there and throw them lines out all day, brother. But, hey, yeah, hey, rub some dirt on it. Get your ass back in the game. Take a wrap off. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Mike. Well, we're so, we're so stoked to have you on, brother. And, and thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule and, I know it, it. You know, you just got. You're on full time with the Gary Sinise Foundation. You're out in L.A. right now doing some big things that well. Hopefully, we can chat about at the end of your interview. But before we do, before we get to that, you've got to go through something that I'm probably you're probably pretty familiar with, but not like what we do here on the TNQ podcast. You're are you ready? We're gonna put you through something called the Mad Minute, brother. Do you know what the Mad Minute is? Absolutely, and I'm ready for it. Are you sure? <laughs> because if because this is a oh, big I, deal. He's like, yeah, let's go. He, so I should just he shut said, up and get yeah, out of it. Called you right out on it. All right. All right. Stand by Mike. Here you go. Mike Marcus, fire away. All right. Hey, what's your biggest pet peeve? Uh, people who are dirty and don't shower. Ooh, stinky hmm. people. I'm not oh, a yeah, not Man. good. What's the first thing you do when you get out of the field? You go take a shower. I've actually witnessed guys who went days without taking a shower when you come out. Ooh, that's, that's just, stinky. You know, <laughs> they're looking like they got gang green growing on them. That's nasty. Remember those pop-up army shower tents that they would do in the beginning? <laughs> oh, where you could see the fungus floating down the little the little <laughs> drainage ditches, dude. That's right. That's right about those. <laughs> and I never had flip flops. Like I always would forget my flip flops. So I'm, I, I digress. All right, wizard, hit him up. Go. All right, this is going to take a little imagination. Are you ready? I'm We're ready. gonna fight to the death. We're gonna fight to the death between an eight foot tall chihuahua, Ooh. and a great white shark fighting in zero gravity. Who comes out alive? Oh, wow. Hmm. I'm going to have to go with the shark. You know, that, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big ass chihuahua, but you know, <laughs> that thing isn't going to, it doesn't have fins. It doesn't have any kind of propeller. That thing destroys the chihuahua. Oh man. I think, 
I think I'm going with the Chihuahua. Yeah, I got the Chihuahua too, man. Yeah. Talk about just vicious. Yeah, I mean, they're honoring. Vicious you, little bastards, you ever aren't kick they? the Chihuahua? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, no. <have> you? <laughs> I don't kick dogs. <laughs> yeah. It's just like being on crack. You know, they don't right. know their own strength when they're on crack, and that's basically every Chihuahua I've ever met. So, it, you, thank they, you, Mike. That, but, thank you. Yeah, and now we're talking about one that weighs about a thousand pounds, right, dude? Doesn't I, matter dude. in space. That's true. Well, it's size wise. Nah. That doesn't matter in space either. Not until oh. you get gravity. In, in the, All right, we need to move wizard, on. Wizard, would you please stop with these complicated questions, I don't know, man? That was hard. <laughs> my, confused, my, my mind just melted. <laughs> on that What's your one? favorite number? One or two? <laughs> much better. Much no, better. It's always going to be one. One. Uh, <laughs> two. There's never a number two. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> All right, Mike, if you had to get in a fight with one, who would it be? Sylvester Stallone in Rocky Three, or Arnold Schwarzenegger in uh, Kindergarten Cop? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to have to go with Rocky on that one. Kindergarten Cop? No. If you would have said Raw or one of those other ones, maybe I, I would have went with Raw. Arnold. I forgot about you that. You know, but I have to go with uh, Stallone on that one. Like, you're going to fight him when, like, before Mr. T hit him or after? <laughs> uh, probably after because I got to have some kind of an advantage on my side. I love it. Take take Rocky to the ground, then, then he's going to be a fish out of water, so it's fine. You just take him to the ground. I like it. Ground pound Rocky. There's never right. been a ground pound Rocky scene? I don't think so, right? Well, Wait, the street the fight. fight. The street fight the street was fight. the ground, ground scene, dude. In, uh, what about in Thunderlips? I don't think so. All right, All right go, hey, fire what's, away. what's your favorite go-to chick flick? <laughs> what? Ooh. Why would you have a go-to chick, chick flick? Have to, go, any you man take a chick. Yeah, I know. Flick. I, no, no, yeah. no. If you're at the house, yeah, you got a go-to chick flick. Oh, I you don't have mind. one. You, like you had to watch them. There's one that's manly enough to, you know, you oh. have a good time watching. Come on. Oh yeah, I'm there. I, I got my family man. Like, I'm not, <laughs> let's let him answer. I don't get a lot of time to watch TV, so that's a tough question for me. But I've never seen it. But I'm going to go have to say the Notebook just because notebook, it's like thank the only chick flick ones in my my mind right now. So. He said the Notebook. Did <laughs> notebook. He really? Of course he did. That's the one. The no, is, dude. If, if you're a guy and you have to have the chick flick ready oh, to, at all times, the Notebook. I'm going to take you back. Ready? You ready? Mickey Rourke, Kim Bassinger, nine oh, and a half, half weeks. weeks. Wambo! Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. The wizard's looking at us like, what does that mean? No, yeah, I've never seen that one. Yeah, because he's like 22 years old. <laughs> <laughs> 22 years old. Plus a decade or so. I have boots that old. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next this question. Been, this, if, if I was still serving, this would have been my 22nd year in the military, so I still have my first pair of combat boots, so yeah. yeah I right. love it. I love it. All right, here you go. If you could be president for a day, what would you do? I would cause havoc in every possible way I can do it. I would definitely put my boot up the VA's ass. Um, hey, man. Just, just turn the whole thing upside down. This, the way we're doing things right now is messed up. So there's got to be a better way to do it. You know what's wild? When we at, asked Matt Best what he would do. It's a, it's a ranger thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a ranger. <laughs> he said, I would cause an international incident by sleeping with Putin's wife. 
<laughs> that is what he said. I think a picture of Putin's wife is she halfway decent looking? I don't know, but only Matt would oh, know that. That's a great right? question. That's a great question. <laughs> oh, I love where your head's at. Yeah, stand by. Let's see. And <laughs> oh, Matt Best taking one for the team. Folks. Oh yes, epic, <laughs> epic, dude. That's what Rangers do, man. That's what they do, right? Taking one for the team. On that. <laughs> All right, fire away, Marcus. All right, if you could jump into anybody's body for a day and did, wait, wait, did, did you say the president for the day? Yeah. All right, mine's too close to that. All right. back another one up. Scratch that one off and go. Actually, I, that's easy. I jump into uh, Jennifer Aniston's body, not go anywhere, and just stare in the mirror all day. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good question. It's a great question. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, my God. I love that question. <laughs> Jennifer, if you hear that, hopefully that'll inspire you to come on the show. Still a beautiful woman. Oh, gorgeous. Man. Absolutely gorgeous. She is hot. I love that answer. All right, hit him with the next one, though, Marcus. I, I want to know the next one. Oh, favorite superhero. Oh, I'd have to go with the Hulk. I, I oh. like that mild manner one minute and just let the rage out the second minute. Dude, mm. that's been the majority of my life. Well, I think we all have that, that rage inside of us. And, you know, oh, yeah. we're always looking for that outlet to figure out how to, to maintain it. So if if you could have, like, just the ability where, like, you're so big and so strong, nobody's going to really stop you. Man, that'd be a great outlet for some rage. Right. I love the way they did that in that Avengers where he's like, oh, that's my that's my secret. I'm always angry. <laughs> and he turns around and just, <laughs> just lays that thing down. That was epic, man. Yeah, it is. I love that scene. Yeah, it is. And then when he grabbed Loki and... <laughs> you dig it. Uni God. All right, wizard, fire away. Okay, if you weren't doing what you are now, if you could pick another career... What would you uh, What would you want to be involved in? Oh man, that's tough. Uh, I think that that's tough for anybody, whether they're they're contemplating getting out of the service or giving back to the communities. Uh, man, actually, I'd probably say at that point, I'd probably just call myself retired. Um, what would you do on retirement, though, Mike? Mm-hmm. Yes, man. That's. I mean, I could retire right now if I wanted to, and. You know, I couldn't figure out what to do, you know, so I went back to work. <laughs> That's so, what my point and, is, man. Right. I think retirement kills people. I mean, it just, it saps them. I mean, imagine playing golf. Retirement kills. Retirement kills, dude. I'm telling you. I mean, I mean, I love to travel. I travel nonstop. I mean, I basically live in hotels as is. Um, so I think with retirement, I would probably have to say i'd still travel i'd pick you know two three trips a year and and do them big but uh there you go yeah that's tough well i i i i hope you don't stop doing what you're doing mike because you're having a profound impact on the world around you uh and on that note i want to shift i think the mad minute you were awesome brother but there is there is a specific reason why I, our listeners come to this show, and that's to get inspired, and that's to have the fire in their gut stoked, to, to find a fuel that will teach them and help them understand that the never quit mindset is inside them. They just need that little push, that little spark. So, Mike, you know, if you could, brother, would you please share your greatest never quit story or stories with our listeners, brother. Uh, you know, uh, you know, doing 
I did 14 years in the, the army before medically retiring and, and got the chance to go to a lot of schools some tough schools, you know, and there's those moments where, you know, it sucks. It hurts. Everything about you uh, tells you you should quit, but you just don't do it. And, you know, if, if you can carry some of that on in, into the rest of your life, I think it's, it's really helpful. But for me, uh, after I was injured in Iraq, you know, blown up, lost hands, 85% burns, uh, I had to teach myself how to walk again. And, uh, in November of 2007, my unit was coming home from Iraq and I begged to be able to go from San Antonio up to New York to see my guys. And I was still in a weird wheelchair, headed out bandages, wasn't really walking a whole lot. And I got up there and, you know, it was great to see my guys, but the thing that bothered me is, you know, them seeing me in what I considered a weak state, you know, uh, mm-hmm. being headed to bandages, stuck in a wheelchair. And, you know, one of the times, you know, physical therapy, I actually had to have around the clock and it was time to get up and walk at one point. I, I literally just didn't have the in- energy and, uh, you know, I was able to stand up and not take the steps I wanted. And it really pained me for my guys to see, see me that way. You know, you always lead by example and, you know, your guys never really saw that, you know, side of a leader, you know, that, that pure weakness. And man, for me, that just, that opened up a whole new level of, uh, motivation for me that the next time my guys will see me, I will be walking, I'll be running, I'll be doing the next big thing that they'll never see me in that state again. And, you know, I was only up there for two days, flew me back to Brook Army Medical Center, and I just pushed and pushed through my physical therapy. And like a, a month later, I was able to get rid of the wheelchair. Three months later, I took my first jog. Um, I really just think it's you got to have some kind of motivation, that driving force that makes you want to do it, and then you're going to do it. Your, your mind is there, um, and there's nothing that's going to stop you. And I've seen all those guys, you know, over the years, and, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say they've never seen me in that state ever again. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Can, you know, one yeah. of the, I think, the most powerful things that civilians do hear about us is the camaraderie the beautiful nature with which we're willing to die for one another. Can you help our listeners understand why that connection you have for your guys and why, why was it as their, as their sergeant? What about that connection to them? What about that feeling was such a driving force for you to really, I'm sure the pain of physical therapy was overwhelming but it, did you did you hear their voices in the recovery? Did you think about their faces? Did you plaster their faces up on your mirror? What did you do, and how'd you work on that relationship to push you? You know, uh, there's two parts because I did have you know being a platoon sergeant, you know, you have the guys underneath you, and then of course you have the leaders above you as well. And um, you know, my first arm when I got injured was Matt Eversman. Uh, anybody who's ever read the book Black Hawk Down and knows about Mogadishu wow. is well aware of, of mm. Matt. And and so I had great leaders, but and I had, you know, the guys underneath me were like my kids. I mean, uh, you watch out for them. You take care of them. And anybody who has kids says, you know, the, the one of the worst feelings in the world would be to let your kids down. And, you know, if 
So when I was going through the physical therapy and the aches, the pains, and 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 really even aches and pains doesn't really describe it quite to the level of pain that I was in at times. Um, you just didn't want to let those guys down. You just, you know, um, you wouldn't want to let them down in combat. You know, you because letting them down in combat means somebody got injured or somebody got killed. Um, mm-hmm. And it might have even been taken off the battlefield. So in life, I mean, you know, if I let those guys down, it's not quite as dramatic as being on the battlefield. But you still don't want that disappointment. You don't want want them to look down on you. And, um, you know, you always lead from the front. So I want to be that leader. I want to be that leader um, who they can still turn to. And, and the funny part is some of my young guys now are still serving they're well past the rank I was when I medically retired and they still call me for advice. You know, wow. so, uh, for me, it was just mm. always thinking about that. Let them, you know, let, I want to make them proud. I want them to, to believe in me and, uh, hopefully provide some motivation and inspiration for them someday. Um, that's awesome. Know, the, the war, the war isn't over, you know, and, and, and the war isn't going to stop anytime soon. Uh, and that, you know, you can see all the hot spots going all all over the world. We're in a terrible mess right now, and as combat continues, guys are going to continue to get injured. And, and God forbid any one of my guys ever get injured, or anybody I've ever been connected to through my speaking engagements and veteran events. But let's just say one of them gets injured. Hopefully, they'll remember. Okay, well, you know, Schlitz didn't quit. You know, if he can do it, I can do it. And and. You know, maybe they push through their own physical therapy or their own recovery. Can you can you describe, you know, where you learned that? Where what at what point in your life and was there an early influence, an early experience, an early person, or was there someone in boot camp or infantry school along the way? That first person that made you believe as as a young member of the United States military or as a kid man, this never quit mindset, it's essential. And that commitment to your team around you, that's the essence of existence in many ways. Yeah, when I when I joined the military in 1996, um, you know, it, it just, you know, I, I wasn't fortunate enough to come in on a Ranger contract. And, you know, so uh, it, it was one of those things where they didn't even give me airborne school. They didn't give me all these other things. And so at that point, I knew if I wanted to continue and get those things, I was going to have to work my ass off. And that's what I did. I mean, I I pushed myself. I set myself apart from my peers. And so the never quit, like it it was never an option to me not to go to ranger school. It was never an option not to go jump out of planes and and go to some of the different weapon schools and stuff. It's just something you, you drive forward to do. Um. But on the flip side of that, I was so focused on myself. Uh, I mean, I took care of, of my, you know, my teams and my squad mates and all these different things. I mean, I, I never like backstabbed them or anything. I just set myself apart. Um, so I could, you know, go to these things. And when I finally got promoted to Sergeant, a young Sergeant, um, I was a horrible leader. Uh, you know, awesome. I believed in yelling and smoking and rolling by an iron fist. And I mean, mm. flat, flat out, I was just a dickhead. And, uh, <laughs> if you talk to any of my buddies that served with me back then, they'll even tell you, man, like it, it, it was ridiculous. 
And wow. I remember one time, um, this guy pulled me off to the side, uh, Rich Moore, and he was like, man, you don't have to do that. Like, look, you're in charge. They've got to listen to you, you know? And it was, you can, you can, you know, set dominance and you can do things, but a real leader figures out how to motivate somebody without instilling fear that motivates them to do it because they want to do it. Amen. And it totally mm-hmm. just changed my, my way, I, my leadership style. Um, not that I didn't yell at times and, and destroy guys. And even my guys in Iraq knew if they messed up, I was going to destroy them. But if I was yelling, then you really, really messed up. <laughs> Can you talk about the first time that you actually applied that leadership style, you know, downrange? And was there a continual evolution? Did you have to uh, take that initial advice and really shape into your own? And when did you see that happen? Uh, I think it, it, it slowly happened. I mean, it was before I even made it overseas to Iraq, I think. Um, I kind of slowly start integrating that into my leadership style, probably about three years ever before I even went to Iraq. So by the time I got to Iraq, I mean, it was just watching out for your guys. I mean, everything, if we, if we got into a scuffle, you know, going back and talking to the guys, okay, Hey, you might have a dream about this tonight, but that's, that's normal. It's okay to have those dreams and, and acceptance and, and, you know, finding your own way to deal with the things that we just did or, or just saw. Um, it was just taking care of them and talking it out. It wasn't, you know, uh, trying to be so hard on these guys that, you know, they felt ashamed if they had a nightmare or they felt ashamed if they were struggling with something they did or just saw. Um, for me, it was just being human on some level. Um, and that's really what it comes down to. I think if more leaders did that, you know, took the time to just have a small discussion after, um, any of the major, uh, engagements that they might've had, some of the issues that we're seeing with veterans might not be going on. Interesting. Well, Mike, uh, you might not want to bring it up, but I know an example of something you did from our research and reading about it. And um, I understand that you guys are doing um, road clearing operations and you're taking so much damage to your equipment that your vehicle turnover wasn't being provided fast enough. And in that particular event, you had elected to take an insufficiently armored Humvee because that's all you had in order to you know, get the op out the door. And you put yourself in there and that leading by example. I mean, that's. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, obviously you can always have second guess your decisions, but you know, bottom line, when you're, when you're in a combat situation, mission first. And, you know, if, if I didn't take that Humvee, uh, you know, just had a little bit of attack on armor, uh, we wouldn't have rolled out. And, you know, we actually made it through several days of missions with that thing. And unfortunately, you know, it just, they got us on on a, on a bad day. Um, you know, typically within my convoy, I had everything, uh, for people who are familiar with some of the more heavily armed vehicles, you know, the MRAP, we had the RG 31s, which was kind of an early edition of them. And we had the Buffalo, which everybody kind of remembers that one from Mm. transformer with the big claw on it and everything. And then (laughs) we had the Huskies, which were our mine detecting vehicles. And out of all those vehicles, the mine detecting ones is the one that got, hit the most. Those guys, you know, a single operator sitting in there by himself, just listening to the headset as he drives down the road. And they used to blow those things up almost every day wow. uh, because it was viewed as the weakest vehicle. But when you throw a Humvee 
and every other vehicle in the convoy is heavily armored, you're going to hit that one. And, um, you know, I put it in the back with me, uh, because very seldom did I ever see rear vehicles really getting hit with IEDs. Um, it was usually the middle vehicle to separate them or the, the lead vehicle to stop the convoy. Um, but yeah, they got us good that day. That's for sure. Wow. I think Mike, I, I'm sorry, but I, I just want to clarify. I think my point on that was that, you know, you put yourself in a position of leadership. I mean, that's a leadership that's a leading by example, you know, putting yourself in that position. Yeah. That's, it's, where, it's I, that's, where, I, that's where I was man. going yeah, with that. Totally admirable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but for me, I didn't really view it that way. I just viewed it as accomplishing the mission. Amen. You know, and, and for me, I mean, that's that's your mindset is always mission. You know, and I think you can make decisions unknowingly that yes, you led by example, or you put yourself in harm's way. Um, but everybody who typically does those things, their focus at the time was mission. Sure. Wow. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, you know you hear a lot about and 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 what i really liked what you were talking about in terms of just being able to have conversations with guys downrange did that prepare you for what you're doing right now to have a greater uh, greater capacity for dialogue for guys that are struggling guys that are having some challenges with the internal war wounds or external wounds because I, I wounds because I'm I know you do a lot of one-on-ones with people out there that have you know similar injuries or injuries you know uh, relatively you know similar situations how do you frame those those conversations with those guys now based on what you know and what you've been through you know, I, I think combat has a lot to do with it. You know, we all realize we've all seen and done stuff, um, different levels and stuff. And I don't have to have done what the Navy SEALs did or the Green Berets did to, to have some level of empathy within the, what combat is in general. And in the discussions I had with my guys overseas was great. But then... Um, also, the hospital. I mean, when I was laying in the hospital, I had other injured guys coming into my room to check on me. Hey, man, I know you're mm-hmm. probably having a bad day today, but, you know, stay motivated. Keep keep at it. It gets better. You know, and as right. I progressed in my recovery, going in and checking on the guys who just got injured, hey, you're probably having a bad day today, but, you know, keep pushing forward. And, uh, you know, we all helped out each other. And, uh, I, I kind of tell a story, of, and it goes back to that camaraderie, you know, the brotherhood of, of what we do. I went to the World Burn Conference in 2008, and it's a mix of civilians and, you know, firefighters and military, people who had been burned. And I'm sitting in this room going through one of the sessions, and there's this woman who's 50 years old, and she's mad and hateful. She was burned when she was four years old. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, so had her entire life like this. And I'm like, man, I just got, you know, blown up a year and a half ago and I'm already trying to go conquer the world again. How can she be so mad and so angry? And, you know, it's 46 years later, where's the acceptance, you know? And so I asked her, you know, I said, you know, not to be rude, but how is it that I got injured a year ago or a year and a half ago and, and you're still dealing with the, these, these, you know, the early stages of grief and anger? And she's like, you know, what What a lot of times the people in the military don't realize is, you know, with, with your injuries comes a little bit of honor. You know, you were injured in combat. You know, there's uh, yeah. there's valor in that. Mm. 
And then you go to a military mm-hmm. hospital, and and it was the same for me. If I looked to my right, there was other amputees. If I looked to my left, there was other burn guys. And we all supported each other. And now you take her. She grew up in a small town where it was just her. She couldn't look to her left and right to see those other injuries, those like experiences, those people she could turn to. And then, you know, going through school and the kids picking on her because of her looks and the different things and not having that outlet. You know, in the military, it's true. We we take care of each other. And, you know, we can say, you know, the bad things about the VA and, and different medical facilities. But ultimately, I mean, we're here to support each other. And the level of care and support we get because of that is leaps and bounds between any other community that you can see out there. Oh, mm. hey, man, I'll tell you, the, the camaraderie that between the services, I mean, that comes from obviously us jiving at each other, and then you got family, the lineage, the granddad, one granddad was in one, and the, the son was in a different right. branch of service. And then obviously when we fight together, sometimes our paths cross on the battlefield, but I'll tell you when we're all in the same boat is in the body shop. You get <laughs> jacked up, man. You know what I'm I mean, the cash unit, that's one of them deals where that's its own team, right? And you're on, you're, it's like a machine shop and you got, you get the high end cars coming in there and everything in between (laughs) for every injury, blown wheel, you know, bent chassis kind of deal. I was was in there for a bent chassis. Anyways. (laughs) But here's the thing, like, I mean, you know, your injuries are different than my injuries. And the one that kind of gets me the most, and, and I get asked this a lot, or I get comments like um, quite a bit to me, is is the guys who are, are struggling psycho- psychologically. Um, and psychologically, it can be, I mean, PTS, it can be uh, the, all the different symptoms that come with that. And they're like, man, you know, I wish I would have lost a limb so I was in, as injured as you are. And... What I always tell people is, you know, you never want to compare injuries. I mean, it, it's, it's whatever's relevant to you. Whatever's impacting your life, that's what's important. So, um, you know, your own pain levels, your own injuries, your own struggles that come from it, that's relevant. Amen. What I'm going through is it should be irrelevant to you. Uh, but with that said, if we were to compare injuries, which you shouldn't, um, I always tell the guys struggling, it's like, uh, psychologically that I feel they're more injured than I am. Wow. You know, uh, I, I don't have a t- uh, traumatic brain injury, TBI. Um, I'm not diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, you know, I can articulate my thoughts. I can work. I can do all. My injuries for me are, are strictly physical. You know, I got some burn skin and some missing hands, and, and that's pretty much the gist of it. I can figure out ways to adapt things. I can, you know, put up shade so I'm not in the sun so much. Um, I can add devices for my prosthetic hooks to be able to do things or figure out a different way to carry it. Um, I can adapt almost anything. But when you're dealing with the brain and the mind, uh, it's not as easy to adapt. You can't just put a Band-Aid on it. You just can't figure out a new way to do with it. And for some people, medicine might be the answer. You know, for others, it might be alternative medicine. Um, so for me, I'm like, dude, you're injured. Like, we have different injuries, but you're still injured. And, you know, um, it's whoever to say out there who's injured more than somebody else. But 
for me, I feel the ones struggling psycho- psychologically that they're they're they have it worse than I have it. Wow. Sure. But the best part, mm. and that's another great thing about putting mm. us all in the same hospital and you have the guys, I mean, whatever block or wing you're in, we kind of, there's certain times we migrate toward each other. And you're, you're right. I never, never compared the injuries. And there's the guys in there. My knees were, I never one time I was sitting next to Fleming, man, and my knee was hurting so bad. You know, I was like, <laughs> really? oh, God, e, man. And I look over and he's got that look because he doesn't have one. Yeah. That's why I said, I was like, what, man? You don't got one. <laughs> in the beginning i would feel you know you kind of feel bad but we, we when you start to to jab at each other like that kind of deal and it brings that level of um levity right it brings yeah. levity to it man and then you see that that's just what it is it's just an injury right you, it can get fixed up get knocked back into shape and then, then we're gonna go and and when you see the guy ahead of you who is busted up a lot more and him pushing hard, well, and, and it, they may be different, but they're the same. He's pushing, so am I. And and we and they kind of progress together. And I think that's a powerful thing, man. Absolutely. And I think you can find humor in it, like you were saying with, with Fleming. You know, one time I went on a, a small trip with a ranger buddy of mine who's a, a double-leg uh, BK. And I had flip-flops on, and I guess I was tapping my foot or wriggling my toes. And he's like, man, I hate you. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> oh, fair enough. And then, you know, a little bit later on, he's tapping his, his hands on the, the table, just like, you know, doing the index finger tap. I'm like, hey, man, I hate you. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I yeah. love it, dude. I love it. Mike, I got a question for you. And I think for our listeners out there, they're thinking in my, their minds, like, my God, how – how does this guy not have some form of post-traumatic stress? How how does he create a space for himself mentally, emotionally, where he can just say, you know, I got some physical injuries, but I am I'm I'm alive and I'm happy and I'm I'm joyful with what I do for a living. How did you build that space for you after suffering a pretty devastating injury yourself and then also the loss of your 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 platoon mates there too how'd you build that out you know it it, it took time i mean you know it didn't happen you know the next day or even you know the the first three years you know i mean i i struggled you know with the the anger and the depression and you know i even struggled with suicidal thoughts uh you know I, i i went through the different phases uh, but I think it basically comes down to acceptance. Uh, mm. Nothing I do is going to ever change what's happened, you know. And and I think a lot of it has to do with perspective, you know. Um, you know, I lost three great guys that were in my vehicle. You know, my driver, Corporal Lauren Henry, my gunner, Sergeant Susanka, my medic, Sergeant Catavero. Man, I love those guys, and I'm proud of those guys. And you know, I would be doing them a injustice if i had survivor's guilt you know they they would be you know they'd come back and kick my ass or haunt me if i if i <laughs> went down that road so right. uh i really came up with this new thing where i call it survivor's pride uh you know i'm proud they chose to serve their country i'm proud that the fact i got to work with them i'm proud that i got to know them. i'm proud that i got to be like family to them um so i get to carry on their memories i'm, I'm the one who gets to tell their stories and um, do that stuff. So as far as the survivor's guilt, I, I don't have that. You know, I have what I call survivor's pride. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I got the chance to do with it. And unfortunately with war comes death. And so I can't change it. 
and with everything else, you know, um, I think, okay, well, if I didn't get injured, then somebody very close to me might have this injury. Maybe they're not tough enough mentally to, to do what I do. So, you know, I, I really just say that, you know, this is a life that's been handed to me. I've got to make the very best of it that I possibly can. And if I can help a few people along the way, then even better. Can you yes, maybe sir. just kind of expand on that a little bit in contrast? Um, I'm looking at this quote here that, says that, you, that you said, uh, people may look at me and say, poor guy, but the truth is I'm happier now than I've ever been. I'm full of hope and understanding of others. Before I was injured, my life was about me, and now I get to make my life simply about others. Can you help people understand exactly a little bit more why that's important to you? Or why you said that, why you feel that? Well, you know, like, I mean, the same thing with I talked about my guys, but now giving back, you know, kind of like you said, you know, before my injury, it was a lot about me. And we can talk a lot about, you know, in the military about, you know, we're a team and we're all these different things. But, uh, you know, one of the things that always bothered me was the term, you know, there's no I in team. Uh, but there is, you know, because, uh, if I wanted to progress in the military and be the best teammate that I possibly could be, that means I have to better myself. And that's individually, that's, you know, individually taking the step to be more physically fit, um, you know, taking the steps to do some studying. So I, you know, uh, the knowledge base is better or going to schools, but in order to go to schools, you have to outshine your peers a little bit, um, you know, for promotions, the same thing. So I was always dri- driven, and, and I think the the more well trained and, and knowledgeable you are, the better teammate you're going to make. But eventually, you had to do that as an individual task, and that's what I focused on. You know, now, you know, people look at me and they're like, "Man, you know, for years and years, all I did was, you know, basically volunteered. I took some paid engagements here and there to offset the a little bit of the the finance aspect of it, but mm-hmm. I just donated." you know, to all these different organizations and veteran events and stuff. And they're like, man, I wish I could do that. But for the average person, they can't. I mean, I have my disability pay. I have all these different things that kind of made me financially stable to where I could volunteer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think if people had more stability, they would want to get back just as much as I'm able to. And it's very, very rewarding um, to help out your brothers and sisters and, for me, that's what it's about. It, it, very little in my life now has to do with me. Um, I live a blessed life, you know. Uh, before I, I really came on board with the Gary Sinise Foundation, um, you know, they they built me a specially adapted house in Georgia. That know, thing I, is awesome, the, by yeah, the way. Yeah. I just want to tell yeah. you, if you ever want <laughs> to give me your house, I will take your house, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and very, very blessed with that home, and you know, and then I—they've given me remarkable opportunities to support support their missions, um, and now they've done it again with with offering me a full time position as a military and veteran resource manager, and and I just love it. I mean, I, it, it keeps me close to our our community. It it allows me to be able to do stuff, but. At the same time, I mean, you still got to be strong because there's a lot of veterans out there struggling. Um, you know, obviously, we all know about the suicide and, and drastic numbers that are, are are ending their own lives for whatever reasons that they right. feel. 
but there's homelessness and unemployment and all these different things going on. And, you know, because I live such a blessed life, because I don't have to worry about where I'm going to put my head down at night, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to get my next meal. I feel the next step would be to give back to our community. And so here I am today, um, kind of taking a step back from the corporate gig and I'm going to go full speed for the foundation. That's so cool. cool. He does a lot, man. I got, he's all time, right? Oh, absolutely. He is, uh, you know, people can say, I mean, you know, the, the last, well, since 2010, I've averaged about 90 days at home a year. So I, I truly live in hotels, uh, you know, and I take vacations at my house. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I ain't like man. Our lives are we we yeah, kind of run that same line, me and you, brother. But it, it all the travel, <laughs> it's funny how everything works out. And I, I remember you talking about you know that that warrior pride, that survivor pride, and it's kind of a thing, man. Like I never felt mentally like I had a a problem. I never never got that. And a matter of fact, I was honored to be on that field. I mean, it's kind of one of the deals, the scars and the tattoos I have and the injuries are proof that I was there. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, this is the thing about team guys, man. And I know because I, I mean, that, that was my life. They pray for the battles that the, that our forefathers were in and the ones uh-huh. that, that I was in and the mm-hmm. ones that are coming and not only the ones we win. Sure. Every team guy wants to be on the bin Laden raid. And I mean, we just think about it in our head. <laughs> I can guarantee you every team guy wanted to be on red wing and not just me. They wanted to be Mikey and Axe, and they get Amen. down just like they did. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even matter the outcome. And I know that. So when I come back, I mean, I walk with, with the pride of knowing that I was chosen to walk on that field. And plus, you know, I never bit my knee, bowed my head to anybody. And I I walk with the memory of 19 guys, and I know that. So I I will never. I mean, think about it. I don't have to think about it all the time. It's just who we are. I mean, when we when we got plugged into that, that was it. That was our man. That was that was our time. And when you get back from it, all the training and everything we went into, and all the good times and travel down with our brothers, and and even the bad times, right? It was a build up to that moment to walk it and. If it costs us our careers, well, that 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 part sucked, right? When you get so hurt, you can't keep up. Yeah, and uh, that, that's kind of the that's the route I'm running on right now. I love it. I love it. Well, Mike, yeah, that's if, great. Mike, before we we wrap it up, we always like to ask our guests if 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 you could share with our listeners what is the thing when you wake up in the morning and you get out of bed, you attach your prosthetic, your prosthetics, you look in the mirror. What are you saying to yourself to light that fire, to get in the fight of the day, and to get out there and serve others in the way that you're doing? What what does that sound and look like for you every day? Yeah, that one is one of the best questions I love love answering because I think it all comes down to your sense of purpose. And and sometimes I hear, you know, your sense of purpose is the same as your mission. And, and my take on it's a little different. I don't think your sense of purpose, the thing that drags you out of uh, bed every day and just gets you motivated is the same thing as your mission. So, you know, my entire adult life in the military, the military was my sense of purpose, man. I got out every day, you know, to take care of my guys, tr- get trained, train them, you know, challenge myself with the next school, uh, you know, oftentimes put the family thing to the side. I mean, I, the thing that really lit me up was being in the military and, you know, then I got injured 
And, you know, that identity was kind of lost and that sense of purpose was kind of lost. And I really, really struggled with, you know, where I fit in the world. And I think a lot of veterans go through that. Um, and it wasn't until I started giving back to the veteran community and giving my time that, you know, I found that I wanted to get out of bed every day. I, I was looking forward to, you know, how I can give back or what events I was going to or what speaking engagements I had. And really for me now, I mean, that is my sense of purpose. The thing that gets me out of bed every day and gets me motivated is figuring out new ways um, to take care of our community. Um, there's tons of resources out there and there's tons of avenues to do it. And some of those things haven't even been thought of yet. Cool. But very cool. Here's the, the difference between that and a mission. So everybody needs a sense of purpose. I think that pulls them out of bed and it can be your family um, it could be your job, you know, it can even be money. I know guys that really just get out of bed every day to go make money. And if that's what's getting them out of bed, then go for it. But your mission then is to fulfill that sense of purpose. And so if, if, if family is your sense of purpose that you're driving force to get out of bed every day to take care of them, then maybe you have to go to work. So you can provide financially for them, put a roof over their head, make sure there's always groceries. And that's just one part. But if your family is your true sense of purpose, then you also have to set time aside to take care of them emotionally, you know, making time to spend time with them mm -hmm. to make sure, you know, all their needs are met, not just, hey, I got a roof over your head and here's some food. You know, there's sure. all these different things. So that should be the mission. Right. Your mission is to fulfill that sense of purpose. And I think if you have those two things in life, um, you'll be successful. And you might not have the most money and you might not have the nicest car and the nicest house, but you'll be successful if your sense of purpose is being met and your, your mission is to fulfill it. Amen. Well, that's awesome, brother. Cool. We, we yeah. can't thank you enough for spending time with us. Could you share with everybody what you got going on now, uh, where people can find you and pay attention to what you're doing? How can they assist you? And where can they go find the Gary Sinise Foundation? Just give us a little dump on, on what you got and where they can find you. Man, the Gary Sinise Foundation is the easiest thing. I mean, it's Gary Sinise Fund at Gary Sinise Foundation on Instagram, Gary Sinise Foundation on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, if you can't find them, then uh, uh, you might need to do some spell checking. Yeah, um, <laughs> but for me, you know, Instagram is just at Michael Schlitz. On Facebook, it's uh, Michael Schlitz, U.S. Army veteran. And uh, again, check out all the different organizations that were mentioned, Gallant Few, Combat Wounded coalition you know gary sneeze foundation they're all doing great work marcus you know with lone survivor foundation you know you guys are still plugging away and in the fight so if there's anything that we can ever do for any of you please don't hesitate to get a hold of me again you're Absolutely awesome brother, thanks brother well michael Absolutely. thank you thank you so much for coming on and and god bless you and the work you're doing Brother, you are a true inspiration, not only to veterans out there, to people all around and of every, every demographic. And sure. we're just so proud, man, that to call you brother. Thank you, man. Thanks, brothers. I truly appreciate it. All right, brother. Take care. We're out. Good talking to you. Take care. All right. Take care, guys.
You know what gets me the most about Mike? You know, if you've ever spent any time with the guy, you, you know, you, you can't, and I don't want to sound bad, but man, I'm a team guy, but you can't not look at his hands. You can't not look at his burns. You can't not think up to yourself, my God, man, that guy lived through one of the worst, most horrific moments that you can live through on the battlefield, mm. in and life period, being burned on fire, but yet he still has that attitude. He still has the ability to infect other people with positivity, to turn light on a situation that is literally the darkest thing you could ever dream up in your life, and the dude makes you feel good. That's some yeah. gift. I, I don't even know. And it's just funny how it works sometimes because you don't, <clears throat> it's, it's, should I stare? Should I not stare? Should I talk about it? I mean, and, and you never know, like you said, what kind of state of mind they're in. The person that they talked about that had been grieved over it. And I didn't ever even thought about that, you know, right. getting busted up as a kid like that. And then there is that difference, right? Huge. And it should be, man. Check it out. It doesn't matter how you got that. You're a warrior to walk with it, to have dealt with it and, and walk with it. And I wish you could just oh, reach out and tell everybody, that, somebody, that, you know, tell Brother. them, man, especially being kids, man, because that's real tough. When you got some, uh, an, a disfigurement, uh, a yeah, disability, yeah, whatever, is, yeah. Because mm. as kids, man, that's the first thing you got. Your kid, you don't know how to cut somebody down any other way than by the way they look. That's why right. kids do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But if you could tell the kid, man, it's like, hey, look, you're a, you're a warrior, just like daddy, just like that guy right over there. If you went through that and you got that, you're gonna. And plus, it's gonna harden you up, anyways. Let's be let's be up hands front, down. Real. It if if you better get hard with it <clears throat> and it. And that teaches them a level of, they have a level of either security or anger, I guess, growing up. That's Insecurity the part you or security, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. yeah. You don't know. Right. And, um, but he walks he, with yeah, that walks security, with, man. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and I think that's Mike. what Mike was saying. Because of this commitment to his guys as a leader, because of this commitment to uh, the Army, because of his commitment being Rager Tab, because of this commitment to the country, He's able to move into this space that, you know, God gave him, man. It, I mean, God gives you what you can handle. He gave Mike a blowing up Humvee, three dead friends, and 85% of his body burning no mm. hands in order for him to go out there and make the impact he has to find peace in his life, right? Mm. Yeah, you know what? It's kind of funny, man, because some of the guys you talked to the other day, 2,000 plus days in a prison camp, man, just as jovial as a puppy. You got somebody like this, just as and the same thing, man. It's like the more horrible it was, the, the tougher those guys come out kind of kind of thing. I think some of these guys are but just there justifying their, their war service by the how, how screwed up they are mentally because there's no physical injuries on the outside. Well, I think there's a process for every hmm. human being. There's a... There, yeah, right? That's where I was going with that. Yeah. It's kind of funny, man, because I don't think any of us could ever... Put that into words. Why we're why it's, it's that way? Like, why, no. Why the hell are you so happy after everything? Man, I could sit here and try to describe it to you in the words I know in English and every other language, but I don't know if I, I man, I, I do can't. it justice. Yeah, yeah. It's just, man, I don't know what it is. I well, just, and, and, and we do we the best we can, but that's the great part about it is because it's different for each person. Absolutely. Hmm. What happens in our lives, right? Whether you are in the military, you're a civilian. You experience trauma on some level, whether it's actual physical trauma, mental trauma, emotional trauma, spiritual trauma, or a combination of all four, which typically happens depending on the level of the trauma. 
And then all of a sudden, you've got this choice. You got this choice. You're going to have to process all the things you process with trauma, no matter what. Some people process it fast. Some people take years like that lady you talked to. Mm-hmm. The reality is at some point, you have to get to a place where you accept it, like he talked about. That acceptance piece that he referenced, in my mind, mm-hmm. was one of the most critical aspects about the entire thing he talked about. Absolutely. I, I'm telling you, I, when I see Mike out in public eye and I see him out functions and or I see him with around or I, you know, I follow him on, on Instagram, I follow him on Facebook and all the things he does, man, you just see like he comes in and everybody's like, uncomfortable like oh wow wow this guy's really banged up and all Mm. but then all of a sudden he opens his mouth there's the acceptance there's the he's comfortable in his own skin if you know what i mean pun intended pun intended he's comfortable in his own skin and that by that measure by people being able to see that that metric in his own personality his own psychology it puts them at ease and then it also, for those who aren't at ease within their own skin, they see his guy and they're like, my God, if Mike Schlitz can be comfortable, I can do it too. Whether it's a burn victim or it's trauma or it's veteran or it's abuse, exactly. whatever it may be. Exactly. And that's what hmm. makes this guy special because he is that that one totally. percent, right? right? And He's you, the shining yeah, beacon man. of hope and, and light. He can come in and have the best life and be happy and push forward even with what what's happened to him and the, and the way, you know, people perceive him on the good and the bad, just from off the cuff. Cause of the way he looks and the way he's been beat up, right. Not having any idea of his background. Yep. And, uh, and that's something it's the never quit mindset. Yeah. And, and hopefully if you're listening right now, you, you get that. Having listening to what Marcus was just talking about, having listening to Michael Schlitz on this, you know, and if this is your first podcast with us, I hope you heard it loud and clear because what that is, is we, this is a community of people that don't quit. This is a place that you can come. If you're struggling with quitting, if you're struggling, you're doubting what your purpose is, you're doubting what your mission is in life, man, this is the place to come. This is our mission. This is the wizard Marcus and I, this is why we're here. This is why we bring Michael Schlitz on is to help you with your mission, either in the external world around you or what's inside your head. Well said. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we are we just so appreciative of, of what you've done and that you're here. So I just want to th- say thank you. I want to say thank you to Michael, Mike, to coming on. I want to say thank you to all the vets out there that are doing what Mike is doing. I want to say thank you to the Gary Sinise Foundation and everything that they've done for so many people, all the quality gold standard veterans organizations. Thank you. And, and gents, man, I, you know, I want to thank God, man, for giving me this opportunity. Thank Christ. Thank my girls. Thank my family, my friends. And I want to thank you, Wizard. And I want to thank you, Marcus, because without the two of you, we would not be able to deliver this incredible message, this incredible concept to as many people as we are to bring these stories to help others discover their never quit mindset. So thank you, Jen. Yeah, brother, man. Like, good. Hey. 
Good job on filling that uniform. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? Good job. And uh, thanks for coming on and sharing that and doing what you do. And for everybody for bringing us back uh, day after day, I, I still can't believe it, man. It's, uh, it's amazing. We owe you all a lot. Everything, actually. Everything. <laughs> yeah, man, we owe you everything. So thank you for that. I'm out. Out. is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.